0: Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We'll be starting at verse 21. As you're turning there, here are some reflections on aging. These do not have ages of the people that said them, but I have a feeling they are from the wisdom generation. First one, eventually you will reach a point when you stop lying about your age and start bragging about it. Some people try to turn back their odometers. Not me, I want people to know why I look this way. I've traveled a long way and some of the roads weren't paved. I don't know how I got over the hill without getting to the top. Being young is beautiful, but being old is comfortable. Long ago, men—long uh, ago, old men cursed and beat the grounds with sticks. It was called witchcraft. Today, it's called golf. <laughs> if you don't learn to laugh at trouble, you won't have anything to laugh at when you're old. And finally, one must wait until evening to see how splendid the day has been. We are in Luke chapter 2, and we are beginning at verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you that it is alive, and that you do speak to us through your spirit, through your word. We ask that you would do so even now, this morning, for your glory and our edification. In Jesus' name, amen. To whom does one go to find people and tasks? Nowadays, there are a plethora of websites designed to attract both employers and, and, and potential workers. When I was in high school, our family received a letter informing us that I had been nominated for inclusion in the publication Who's Who among American high school students. This publication was similar to Who's Who in America, which began in 1899 by Albert Nelson Marquis, for the purpose of, quote, endeavoring to profile the leaders of American society, those men and women who are influencing their nation's development. Publications such as these came under criticism for taking advantage of Proud Parents, and Educational Communication Incorporated, the company that published Who's Who among American high school students, has since gone bankrupt. So. How does one find good people? In Luke chapter 2, as we come to one of the most important tasks in history, the raising of God's son, we see that God did not consult who's who in Jerusalem. Neither does he go to a website to find the most qualified candidate with a sparkling resume and a stellar public image. What are the criteria that he uses? Can those qualities be of help to us as we seek to form our lives around those things which would please him? Who are the people to whom God reveals his salvation? We come first to Joseph and Mary. Who were and mary at christmas time we hear a lot about joseph and mary we know that they were descendants in the line of david beyond this we know that they were simple humble people who lived lives characterized by obedience prior to this event mary had been obedient to gabriel the angel's message joseph was obedient to the dream god gave him about taking Mary as his wife. And they were both obedient to Caesar in coming to Bethlehem for the census. They named Jesus as they had been instructed to, uh, instructed to as well. And we see that here in chapter 2 of Luke. They circumcised him on the eighth day after his birth, according to the law. And they presented him in the temple at the appropriate time, which would have been over a month after his birth. These were people of humble means. How do we know that they were of humble means? Well, in Leviticus chapter 12, we're told, The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. So we see here in Luke chapter 2, what was their offering? What was their offering that they brought? It was the pair of two doves or two young pigeons. So that's how we know that Mary and Joseph were of humble means. Did Mary and Joseph earn the right to become Jesus' earthly parents through their obedience? Uh, We can't say that. What we can say is that these humble people who lived lives of obedience before God were chosen by God for a once-in-history task. They bore the burden and the honor surrounding Jesus' birth, but beyond that, They bore the responsibility of raising him in the admonition of the Lord. So my question for us this morning is, how do our lives measure up next to those of Joseph and Mary's? Well, like them, many of us do not have extraordinary financial means. But can we say that like them as well, our lives reflect a trust and obedience to God? Has God and will God use you and I with important tasks for his kingdom? Are there people around us who glorify God because of our testimony? Now we come to the first of our two time-tested testifiers. And that is Simeon. Who was Simeon? Well, beginning in verse 25 and following... We find some things out about Simeon. There are things that we don't know. We don't know, was he a Pharisee? Was he a member of the ruling council? We're not told that. Maybe he was just simply a devout follower of God. But we do know, starting in verse 25, that he lived in Jerusalem, number one. Number two, he was righteous and devout. That is, he had high moral character and dedication to the Lord. Thirdly, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that phrase, consolation of Israel, was kind of a catchphrase. Ligonier Ministries online devotional says this, Luke's use of the phrase, the consolation of Israel, is striking, and it is clearly to be taken in a messianic sense. Throughout their history, the people of Israel had suffered greatly, both for their own sin and because of the oppression of others. Their land was frequently overrun by foreign powers who knew the strategic significance of Palestine, which connected Africa, Europe, and Asia. They suffered under slavery in Egypt and endured the troubles of exile. In short, they were a people in desperate need of consolation and comfort, the kind of permanent comfort that could only come when the son of David would arrive to guard them and to provide them forgiveness of their sin. End quote. Fourthly, Simeon had the Holy Spirit. Now, already in Luke here, we have seen that Elizabeth had been filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 1, and that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Now the Spirit is moving again in the person of Simeon. Fifthly, he knew through the Spirit that he would see the Lord's Christ before he died. That's in verse 26. For this reason, there is the assumption that he was an older man. I don't know that we can say that with absolute certainty, but most likely he was an older man. Now we come to verses 29 to 32, which is Simeon's song, which is short in length, but powerful in meaning. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your sermon in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. First note that he is unquestionably convinced that this little baby that he is holding is indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Secondly, this knowledge bring, brings to him a sense of completion for his life. His life's mission has been fulfilled. The IVP commentary says this Simeon's remarks are set within a hymn known as the, and I, and I have not studied Latin, so forgive me, you Latin scholars, Nuc Dimitus. From the Latin of the hymn's open phrase translated, now you dismiss. The prophecy itself is a statement of mature faith. Simeon can die in peace as you have promised and be taken by God, the sovereign Lord, his master, because my eyes have seen your salvation. There is a significant equation in this remark. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation, they are inseparable. There is joy even in the face of death, when one has seen the source of life. Simeon's job as a sentinel for the Messiah is done. So thirdly, Simeon recognizes Christ's purpose to his own people and to the entire world. An incredible insight that I am sure was possible only through the Holy Spirit. D. Campbell Morgan says this, There are senses in which Simeon was more clear in his statement of the meaning of the coming of that child than Elizabeth was in her Beatitude, or Mary in her Magnificat, or even Zacharias in the Benedictus. Think of the Gentile world as it existed then, with its philosophies seeking to find some solution, gleams breaking through upon sincere souls, and then being lost. Here is the light that is coming to unveiling the apocalypse and glory of the people of Israel. This child, said Simeon, in effect, is the ultimate in all the history of God's ancient people. Fourthly, Simeon does one more thing. He speaks to Mary words of foreboding. Because of him, many will fall and many will rise. Her own soul will suffer. This child would certainly be the one to bring hope to mankind. It would come at a cost, however. People would need to choose for him. And choosing for him could and would bring pain. Do Simeon's words ring true for each of us? Have your spiritual eyes, like Simeon's physical eyes, seen God's salvation? Has his presence in your life brought you to a place of peace? If your life were over today, would you be comfortable saying, Sovereign Lord, dismiss now your servant. Are our lives characterized by the Holy Spirit's leading and testimony to those around us of the light of the world? Next we come to Anna. Who was Anna? She was another time-tested, devout follower of God. And she now enters the picture. What do we know about her? Number one, she was a prophetess. Number two, she was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Three, she was very old, a widow of many years. And four, she lived at the temple. What was her job? She had three jobs. She worshipped, she fasted, and she prayed. What would it be like to have that be your life's calling, your solo calling? Though we may not all be able to live at church, we certainly can emulate Anna and her example of a life devoted to God. In this moment, she thanks God. Once again, a recognition of the significance of this child. She speaks to all around who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And in that, perhaps, she is thinking of Isaiah 40, verse 2, which says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. She is among that band of believers who are holding on for the coming of the Messiah. God rewards her and those around her with the physical sight of the promised one. Anna's life was a life of devotion to God. Are our lives this type of life? Are they characterized by the disciplines of worship, fasting, and prayer? Are our lives full with anticipation of the coming of the Messiah? These disciplines and this attitude will not get you recognized nationally. Most likely, you may not even gain recognition within the church. They will, however, get the attention of heaven. God's ear is out to those who humbly and passionately, persistently pursue him and his purposes. What can we say about the people that God uses to reveal his salvation to the world? We can say he uses people that are humble, expectant, receptive, and ordinary. And guess what? Each of us can be that type of person. Regardless of our age, regardless of our background, we can be those people who live this type of life. It's not only in the life of Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna that God has done this. He does this all through the pages of scripture. He uses the most unlikely people with the most unlikely means to accomplish incredible things. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get caught up in the mundane and thinking that wow is the stuff that i'm doing really making any kind of a difference for the lord i don't know about you but that comes to me occasionally and i want to say stay humble stay faithful and trusting to the lord and stay expectant, because he does use people like you and me as we conclude this year and look forward to a new year and the Lord, let's remember that. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you that you don't ask us to become rich before you use us. Thank you that you don't ask us to become well-known before you use us. You don't ask us to to prove ourselves to you. And yet, Lord, because you've done a work in us through your son, we have the privilege of doing good works for you. And Father, those good works may not get us recognition here in this world, but we know that nothing goes by your sight. So help us to stay faithful and strong to your word, to those things that you've called us to do as individuals, and as a church and may we look forward each and every day lord to what you're doing here and now and what you're going to do in the future and it is through your son our savior jesus we pray amen